0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered, brought to you by VML Y&R. I'm Nick Brunker, a director of experience strategy and your host for the show. Thanks for dialing us up. We're glad you're with us. On every episode of Human Centered, we explore how brands, both large and small, are creating meaningful customer experiences and discuss how professionals like you can tap into CX best practices to create value and gain traction in transforming your business. On the show today, we're going to talk about journey mapping for the future. Not always an easy task, as the future is is frustratingly hard to predict toss in the after effects of the global pandemic and it's shaping up to be a very interesting year for CX practitioners to help us make sense of it all. I'm thrilled to be joined today by the WPP client leader on boots and our European CXO for VML YNR, Karen Boswell. Hey, Karen, thanks for joining us.
1: Nick, it's a total pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on today.
0: Absolutely, we're really excited about this one, and uh, lots to get into today. Before we get things going, though, I'd love to hear more about your journey in customer experience and uh, your journey along along the path to where you are today.
1: Uh, wow, I mean, it's it's been an interesting one, actually. I've worn a few different hats along the way. So, I actually uh, I came out of uni from studying design, and um, and, and and immediately kind of got obsessed with uh, this thing called the internet, which I've heard. Is um, going to stay <laughs> it was a pretty big thing, um, and I started teaching myself uh, code, basic code, and got into you know early brand website design and build, um, known to us now as um, UX and, and UI, I suppose, not really common phrases uh, back then. Um, from there, I think I got quite frustrated as a designer being told to make the logo bigger and use up all the white space. So I uh, tried my hand at um, planning and decided to try and influence. Uh, the use of that white space from sort of uh, sort of decision making, um, what users want to see point of view, and and from there just sort of catapulted into why people do the things they do, what makes us tick. I'm obsessed about um, the decision science behind um, why people come together, why they shop, why they consume, um, but also the technologies that enable it. So I sort of rode the technology wave um, with various different sort of digital roles, digital transformation roles that sort of became marketing transformation. Um, and, And I guess like all of these different things with different titles have have always been rooted in my passion around designing the best possible thing for people. Um, with the most amazing people. And so when I think about it, technology is the enabler, but people are the driving force. And if I were to summarize all of the jobs I've ever had, it's brought me to this place right now. Um, and, and we as an industry call it CX. But I think it's it's really about uh, humans designing for humans. And, and for me, that's um, forever going to be my passion.
0: And that's exactly the, the great topic on tap today to kind of dig a little bit deeper, because it sounds easy It sounds like when you're saying, yeah, let's just work together and find solutions. Understanding consumers and really having human empathy is kind of this first big meaty subject when we talk CX. It's really getting to know what is our consumer need? What are their problems? Obviously, the driving power of building journey maps just more tactically and those meaningful experiences starts with that true understanding of human need. Like I said, simple enough task, right? But it's something that many firms and CX practice practitioners struggle with. What are some things that leaders can do to make customer understanding not not just an activity but part of their DNA?
1: It's it's a really good observation Nick and and one that I think we we come up against all the time but maybe don't see for what it is. For me there's quite a big difference between Um, When clients say that they're obsessed over their customers and what truly obsessing over their customers as people is. Um, And the the biggest polarity that I see quite a lot is that um, if you truly obsess over a customer, you understand what they're thinking, what they're doing and what they're feeling at any given moment across their journey. And we understand as a brand or a business where we have the authority to um, interrupt their life Because that is what we're doing, and and how we do that in a way that adds meaningful value. Quite often, what I actually see is um, businesses may be talking about obsessing over customers, but they're obsessing over gaining customers or acquiring new types of customers or retaining customers. And so you sort of end up with this sort of slightly leaky bucket model where, unless you sort of focus on retaining the ones you have, you pour media money at the top and, and actually you acquire but you lose, and it becomes this sort of cyclical problem for for a business. And so the ability to properly and truly focus and organize yourselves around what your customers want and where they are when they want it from you is why we see growth um, in, in trajectory with, with businesses able to deliver against that, um, because you keep bringing those customers back. They feel that you understand their need, and therefore those holes kind of plug themselves. That makes it sound really simple. There's <laughs> obviously a ton <laughs> of stuff and architecture that happens behind it, but but I think the, the mindset and truly being able to um, be empathetic, which is, you know, the definition of empathy is to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Um, it's quite a big way of thinking and a way of doing
0: it, it, What's really interesting, I always think about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts is is when you think about the the problems that they're trying to solve, the, the old adage of jobs to be done theory, the jobs theory, it is it's really interesting to unpack what they're feeling and doing and the progress they're trying to make. But there's also, uh, understandably, a social element to all of this functional problems, emotional problems, social problems or social jobs, if you will, you know, talk about how you're, you're not only looking at maybe behavior, but uh, understanding trends about how people are, are working together. So their interactions with the brand might not necessarily be the, you know, the end all be all, because that's important to the brand, obviously. But from a, a customer perspective. How can you be a part of their day to help them get the most out of their day with maybe somebody else? So it's it's shared empathy on that side as well, isn't it?
1: I think, it, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think um, there's a number of different things that we can do. So a lot of companies have what's known as an SFOC, a single view of a customer. I think what I'm more interested in is um, a voice of customer, actually. So when we actually start to think about, rather than a targeting strategy um, and how we get into somebody's lives how can we to your point actually bring their voice into our business how can we start to listen and there's a difference between listening and hearing how can we actually hear what is said bring that voice into our model and balance out how we show up in our tone and in our visual identity to actually encompass the thoughts and the needs of our, of our customers and that's quite often the main pivotal turning point um, where customers feel that an organization is is being reciprocative to to their views. Um, And when you behave differently internally as an organization, um, it is picked up externally like customers feel that you have their interests at heart whether that's how you know how you're greeted when you walk into a store whether that's um the service that you feel online feeling like it's infused by a human even if it's not an actual human you know there's nothing worse than a shitty bot that just doesn't tell you, <laughs> what you, want you to do to a dead end and uh, you know customers aren't stupid um they they get it and they get if you get them
0: and that's a great great point and, and it's a stat that i know you and i work a lot with when we are, you know, presenting and working with, with our clients. And it is the fact that we know customers, uh, are very aware of when experiences are broken. And so I think what's awesome about, you know, the, the way that we were talking empathy is that it's, it's not a one-way street. It is, it's not the brand saying, Hey, here's our promise. Here's everything that's good about us. Come and enjoy us. It's, it's the BX and the CX. It's, it's making the promise and then proving that promise out, which to your point goes back to understanding exactly what what is their problem, what are, the, what are the things that we can help solve in their day. And I think that it speaks to, when you've seen brands try to create these great new products, services, features, processes, all of that, they can all fail because if they're not grounded in voice of customer, it's all just guesswork, right? It's it's ultimately just a lost cause. Do you see that, that trend shifting where you, you're seeing brands really start to focus on that real empathy? Or is, is this the, just the beginning of that bell curve? <laughs>
1: It's re- it, and, and it's really interesting. Actually, this is a conversation I've been having a lot recently. Um, what, what we tend to see is that whenever a a business or a technology trend accelerates, and let's face it, with the year we just had, there's mm-hmm. been there's been a lot of acceleration in a lot of different places. Um, it is actually the human element that becomes more crucial, and yet is often the element that is most overlooked um and it can get really hard to remain focused on why we were here in the first place, um, which ultimately is to know our customers in order to be able to serve our customers. Because if our customers don't buy from us, they'll buy somewhere else, and then we don't have a business at the end of the day. There's, you know, there's that lovely kind of quote um, around, you know, the only CEO of your company is your customer because yeah. they have the ability to fire everybody from the the board on down just by shopping somewhere else and it's so true and it's it's true more now than ever i think getting your product into the hands of the customer is never enough and it's certainly you know the the value and just the word value itself can raise so many questions because obviously you know value can mean two for one value for a customer is like be where i am meet me where i am emotionally and physically um functionally and make everything easier for me
0: now that's a hell of a lot (laughs) yeah i was gonna (laughs) say easy easy enough
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly but i think um an empathy first approach to all of that while you're figuring out the function is the way to do it um and and it nine times out of 10, we see growth come much more quickly when customers felt like they are understood and included. And, and that kind of um, that inclusion theory definitely gives to stronger relationships with all the usual return you would expect further down the line.
0: It just speaks to the, the critical importance of that co-creation, whether or not you're just using their inputs or actually helping and bring customers into that design cycle, into the strategy cycle. So you're bringing that through. And I, and I think you mentioned you hit on something that that is uh, kind of the the next big bucket I wanted to speak to you about today and that was how you you balance privacy in today's you know modern world where customers are super aware probably more than they ever have in history of, of how their data is being used and then the role of technology and you know kind of if you think of data as the fuel for the technology having that shared value is critical it goes without saying we can't do a lot of the things we do without technology but if it's technology for technology's sake that that's not the answer. How as somebody who has lived and breathed GDPR talk about the challenge of finding that balance between technology that requires data while also helping customers feel like they're in control and there's there's privacy, but also shared value. that they're, they're willing to give you that data that you need.
1: Four of my favorite little letters there. <laughs> There will be a lot of people that that don't agree with with what I'm about to say. Um, uh, GDPR was probably one of the best things to happen to our industry because it forced the removal of selfish brand behavior. And I think there is a very simple equation that drives change, and that is human need plus technology and therefore data will drive business, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Technology and data is only useful if it is adopted by and used by people. And that is the bit of the equation that has been overlooked for too long. So for people to have understanding over how their data is being used to their benefit and ultimately the world that we're moving to will be giving them the power back, I think is right. It makes it really hard for people like you and me in the short term. <laughs> because let's face it, the bar was high. It just got a hell of a lot higher. But it's the right thing to do. And I think, you know, you know Businesses that strive to deliver the right result in the right way will have a stronger business model that comes out of it that will stand the test of time for all the reasons that we've just
0: talked about. Which is is so funny because you you go back to all of the, the empathy stuff that we just talked about, and it's understanding your customers' moment in time what are they comfortable with, and what would be something that they would be willing to kind of work with you to provide the data that you need to help give them more value out of the relationship. And I also think what's really interesting about it is that when you're in a position to have these big conversations, these meaty conversations with with brands who have to actually put their money where their mouth is. You go to back to, you know, any Forrester, McKinsey, you know, even our own internal, you know, studies, and you look at the emotion, that is the key driver. I mean, there's obviously effectiveness, and there's effect, obviously ease. Those are two big of the three E's. But if you're you're not tapping into emotion, you're not going to get any of this done. And so in these conversations that you're having with, with executives and others across across multiple different types of businesses over your career, are you seeing that that light bulb's going off, that they're realizing that, man, we're probably behind in a lot of ways and we got to change the way we're thinking?
1: You know, it's in, it's really interesting, actually. For the first time in my career, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a year where i I haven't had to tell clients to focus around their customer and, and digitally transform at the pace of life. Like for, for all of the horribleness of the last year, I think actually um, we can see some good emerging from it. And it's that human element that unites all of the great tools within the cx practice you know cx is not just an output it is a human outcome driven uh, practice and and we use the word practice because it's ever evolving (laughs) but it's you know it's 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 looking at that empathy at scale it's understanding the behavioral science behind decision making behind processes um and then looking at the data analytics in that order and understanding why those things need to come together around design thinking and then all of the sort of outputs that you have across all of the touch points um- and that's just the beginning because then you've got to keep keeping up with the pace of life. And actually, one of the things we talk about um, and one of our major retail clients that we've just embarked on a huge journey with who are just, you know, quite fiercely passionate about delivering for their customers is moving at the, the speed of trust. And I think that's really interesting because you can't put a time frame on what it takes to earn the trust of a customer again and again and again over time. And so I love the fact that that's built into our as a partnership moving forward.
0: And the the other thing about the trust angle is it really is – it's something you have to do as a, as a brand, you have to build it. It's not something that you can buy. It's not something that you can even build from a a experience perspective and just like, Hey, we'll just throw e-commerce on our site and we'll have trust or we'll make sure that it's easy to get through the experience. That's not necessarily going to build trust. It's, it's repetitive actions that are oftentimes underpinned by or the need to be underpinned by infrastructure that doesn't exist yet. And that's why I think, you know, as we looked at the pandemic, some of the really interesting facts uh, that, that came out as you hear about, well, Black Friday was every day for us last year because everybody was shifting the way they were buying and changing. And and the brands that succeeded in, in obvious areas seem to be the ones that were Already trying to create those experiences that were really allowing the customer to make the decisions on their own, there was no set you have to come to buy or engage with us this way or that way it's you can buy and engage with us however you want, and we 're going to be there for you as you know a partner, not necessarily somebody who's just selling you something and i, I i'd love to hear your perspective on how <laughs> products Are kind of in and of themselves going away as things. And when you're buying a product, you're actually buying an experience and services now become kind of the uh, the currency that are required to have alongside a product, because it's not just about the product. It's about the experience that's enabled by the technology. Right. Right.
1: And it's there's several kind of symbiotic relationships that you've touched on there. And I think that's quite um, symbolic of uh, exactly what that continuation is. And we talk about journeys a lot and we talk about, you know, journey driven transformation. And that for me is quite a nice way to encompass all of those pieces. So understanding the context of somebody's journey before they even came to even interact with your brand at the very first touch point, whatever that might have been, whatever they may have been seeking. Um, The journey through deciding to buy from you um, in and around uh, that product, that service, the continuation of use or repurchase—you know, whether it's um, whether it's mascara or a car, like it, like you want to keep that journey going. Or mascara in a car, who knows? <laughs> um, but and then that that journey that happens post um, post purchase, post use, and and keeps them coming back. And I think it's that continuation of loyalty. And I think for too long we focus on again that sort of linear get them in and then be nice to them but actually be being loyal to our customers before we expect their loyalty in return is quite a nice philosophy to start bringing that that journey transformation together and, and make it a closed loop of feedback and um, that's when it becomes really powerful and all those sort of elements around you know bringing um, their voice into our journey you know a shared narrative will be heard much wider than any narrative a brand can own ever like we that's been proved umpteen times and so if you can close that feedback loop around what we deliver and how we deliver and continually iterate around that. Um, You know, I love, I love the fact that we have so many um, audience beta programs. That's just, you know, again, too often we sort of ask them, what do you think about this picture versus this picture? It's like, play with this, tell us how crap it is so we can make it better for you. (laughs) Like it's so much better to just keep doing that Um, because they're the ones that are going to use it at the end of the day. Uh, So yeah, anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but I get passionate about it. I think, um, Um, Understanding it all. Context is, you know, the queen in all of this.
0: What I think it goes back to is you kind of have to take ego out of the equation because there are going to be people who are like, I'm the design expert. And I'm not saying that that's that's more common now than it was. Or I have the strategy for this. This was my thinking. It really forces you as a brand and and ultimately the teamwork that goes into building to take Take emotion, ironically, out of it, take your ego out of it and look at the journey and say, perception is reality. Customer experience perception is customer experience reality. And if you don't go from that mindset out, you're just going to be fighting a losing battle all along. It's just it's crazy. So I love that you're passionate about that. And I love that you hit on journeys, because this year, I feel like 2021 not that I want to do a whole prediction thing, but I love the idea that what we saw, the silver lining, if there were such a thing about what happened in this past past calendar year, is that a lot of brands are being forced to kind of rethink the journey. Maybe there are relatively similar steps, but there are maybe new technologies or behaviors or channels or, or uh, touch points that, that have now become perhaps more commonplace than they were, or perhaps it was on a five-year plan or a 10-year plan somewhere, now it's on a two-year or three-year plan at best. Talk about the balance uh, of knowing that you have a journey now and you've got to obviously keep the lights on at your business, but also have the eye towards the future state. Is that something that you see as a a practice that brand marketers are going to have to do in 2021?
1: The short answer to that is yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, it goes and it goes back to that kind of, uh, you know, moving at the speed of trust um, point. Uh, And actually it's it, it, it dovetails quite nicely into the point you just made around, you know, getting rid of the egos. And, and I love that, um, a no egos, no assholes policy is, is generally a good <laughs> kind of team building policy because if you can have a certain humbleness to um, failing and uh, iterating forward quickly, because you're, you're happy with failure and taking risks and getting things wrong, um, that sort of design thinking ability to therefore address the near and the far at the same time becomes a hell of a lot easier to do culturally and I think you know long gone are the days where we spend a year scoping a three year platform build because quite frankly it's out of date by the time you've even finished the scope and so Mm -hmm. we have to build for a modular society we have to build for um, for constant change because (laughs) we all know change is the only constant and you know people are changing faster than ever before, technology is only gonna get exponentially um more trickier and more difficult to, to keep up with. And so uh... The upward curve that we're facing right now, uh, it's going to be much more difficult to predict. And I think if we can have almost, um, you know, we've adopted almost a publishing cycle, sort of looking roughly a year ahead and and having sort of OKRs for how we're going to get there. Um, But looking on a six monthly and then down to quarterly cycle, which is refined on an ongoing basis, month by month and, and week by week. And so it just becomes this constant iterating sprint based um, you know what we start with in January come March some of those things might be redundant but they're topped up with other things other features we might need to build other content messages that we might need to build and I think actually you know to introduce another symbiosis into the conversation it's how we used to address publishing I'm seeing a lot of those synergies now come into how we address um, design thinking for products and services because um, the luxury of time doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of bringing those as we bring together BX and CX, you know, we, we talk a lot about what we say and what we do actually just that cyclical process of being able to adopt and adapt, um, whilst bringing our audience along with us and, you know, constantly being on point, um, has to be the way that we, we keep ourselves moving forward and, and, and being future-proof.
0: Man, I could talk about this stuff with you all day. Uh, I, I cognizant of time um, and I would be remiss to, to do kind of what we've been doing on these podcasts is to kind of put the the you know shop talk business talk albeit awesome aside and and learn a little bit more about you uh, off the clock so to speak and one thing that for those that are listening that, that don't know you personally uh, you are actually coming to us from your houseboat <laughs> take me through the <laughs> how you decided <laughs> what to go what you're gonna say? houseboat style. Like you're, you're literally uh-huh. floating right now. Tell us, tell uh-huh. us how I came to be. <laughs> um,
1: so I have lived on my boat for about three and a half years now. Um, wasn't ever intended to be that long actually I just fell in love with the fact that I live on a lake in the middle of a green belt um in Buckinghamshire which is uh, just outside London in in the UK for any of our global friends um I, I lived in London for about 10 years um and I just got to the point where I wanted to spend my time um in a way that allowed me to break out of um you know very technology focused role Um, and I started looking around in the countryside and I I sort of decided that I wanted to eventually like grand life plans we'll see have a house by the sea but also have um, a a pad close to to the city where I'm always going to be for work whether I'm flying around or you know (laughs) We're going to have to fly again. Sorry, my dog just barked. That's okay. (laughs) Um, That's Amber saying, no, we're not flying anywhere. Anyway, um, and so I met a friend who'd built a boat. uh, And at first I was like, what on earth? (laughs) Like, that just sounds strange. And then I saw the boat. And I was very inspired by it. So I decided to have a go at designing what a boat might look like for me. Um, And before I knew it, it had been commissioned and I was project managing this whole thing, which was terrifying and exciting. And then it went on the water and it floated, hurrah, and here I am three and a half years later. So um, yeah, it's amazing. And as I speak to you now, I'm looking at um, a couple of swans and a family of geese and a couple of grebes um, across a very frosty, snowy lake um, and uh, it's just amazing life it's is the best good recover-
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I would also be remiss to, to at least make the assumption that Every boat or every good boat has a name. What is the name of your (laughs) boat if one exists and and tell us the name of of it and why you named it that way?
1: Oh, well, I'm really letting you in here. So my my boat is called Maybe Tomorrow, uh, which I didn't realize (laughs) how that name would be until I moved on to her, um, and she's she's a big boat, so she's a ship. So, she, which is why I refer to her as, as, as a woman because that's kind of like the um, the charter in nautical life. So, it, so it turns out. So, yeah she's called Maybe Tomorrow, and that is because <laughs> one of my nicknames is the Littlest Hobo, <laughs> which <laughs> may or may not remember <laughs> is a um, is a character from a TV program, and the theme tune to that was Maybe It's tomorrow she want to settle down um and i never do settle down so i named my boat maybe tomorrow because it moves around and I don't have to settle.
0: I love it. I love <laughs> it.
1: happens tomorrow in boat life. It's all like, yeah, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. So it's become a bit of a joke, which wasn't the intention, but, you know, embracing life.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Karen, it is so great to catch up with you and, and just hear all of the insights that you bring to CX and Human Centered Design. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Oh,
1: well, this was so much fun. Thank you. This has been the highlight of my day. It's always a pleasure, Nick. Thank you.
0: Same here. You can follow Karen on Twitter at Scarlet Geek. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. We'd love for you to give us your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Or if you have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line, you can connect with me on Twitter as well, at Nick Brunker, or you can shoot us an email, Centered at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.